0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Holistic Finance. My name is Ryan Berklow, And I'm Alex Collins. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about investing 101. Yeah, I mean, this is a topic that's come up a couple of times
1: in recent meetings for us. And a lot of it, I think, has to do with what's what's been going on in the market lately and people like really trying to understand the hows and the whys as,
0: as much as there is a how and a why. Yeah. And I mean, I don't care how experienced you are in investing, like so far, at least in my experience, Alex, when I go over these four rules with clients, inevitably they learn something with this four rules, right? Like I've yet to meet a client that says, oh yeah, I knew everything about that. Like they, and not that they should, I'm not saying that they should be the expert, but there's just so much maybe misinformation or maybe lack of understanding of how, what these rules truly mean. And at the same time, almost to a person, every single person
1: says, yep, I knew, I knew those four rules. And it's, it's this weird dichotomy of like knowing the rules and yet picking up new nuanced information every single time. And like the, 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 the best example that I can give in going through these rules is similar to like Americans and dieting, like, or losing weight. We all know the rules to losing weight, right? Move more, eat less, eat right. Three very simple rules. Is there anybody in America who doesn't understand that? Like, I'm sure there
0: is, but like, very, very small subset of people, right? And you have you have the the issue is you've got so-called experts out there that say actually you can go do this and you can lose 50 pounds in 20 days. Here, take Not not realizing that, yeah, you might be able to lose 50 pounds in 20 days, but you're gonna gain all 50 back unless you stay on that exact path.
1: Yeah, or here's this magic pill that
0: will solve all your problems. Right, right. So the same thing is true on the finance side. So, you know. Let's just start it off with this. When you are investing money in the stock market or in the market in general, I'll just say it that way, you should be investing for the long-term. Well, I almost feel like we should
1: differentiate between investing and speculating.
0: Fair. Yeah. And where, where I was going with the long-term, and I'd love to let's transition to that, Alex. Long-term, I think somebody, t- how many times do you get the question, hey, Ryan, I've got X amount of dollars sitting in my savings account that's earning zero point nothing, where can I put this money and get a rate of return? Right. And and their thoughts are where can I invest the money? And they're normally thinking some sort of market and some sort of risk associated with it, even though they're really not thinking like what the true downside risk is. Well,
1: yeah, they they're not looking at it from what's the potential risk of loss. And like, so most of the time when you and I get asked that question we launch into a litany of questions like, okay, how much risk are you willing to take? Most people are like, what do you mean? Well, okay. So if you're 20 grand that you've got sitting here that you're willing to go ahead and invest, how much of that 20 grand are you willing to lose? Well, what do you mean? I'm investing it to gain, right? But anytime we have a variable structure, there's a risk of loss, And so helping understand like what that floor is that we're comfortable with, like that will eliminate like a significant chunk of potential investments. Um, And then the next question we ask is like, okay, what's our timeline for wanting or needing this money back? And that might eliminate another chunk of things that are out there. Because when we talk about investing, what we're talking about is creating a systematic approach for a long-term speculation is trying to predict something and try to outthink, outguess the markets. And you and I really just, we, we don't want to speculate.
0: Well, I've, I'm sure I've said this on this podcast before. Alex is probably going to roll his eyes because he's sick of me saying this. But the fact is, is someone if someone could accurately predict in any way, in any consistent form, the market, there would be a statue of them on Wall Street, not the bull. Or we wouldn't
1: know them at all because they'd just be doing it for themselves and they'd be the millionaire or billionaire
0: next door that nobody knows about. All right. Like you've heard it, You've heard of economists or different people out there that like this person accurately predicted 2008, And so everybody starts to go follow that person. And I'm not saying this person is is a dumb person, but what they don't talk into is that person also predicted stuff to occur in 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, that none of that occurred. Right. Good or bad. So they got lucky one year. And they're hailed as a hero.
1: Uh, It brings up one of the quotes that I (laughs) absolutely love, and I'm sure you're going to roll your eyes at this one and that is that economists have correctly predicted 10 out of the last 3 recessions.
0: And it's true, right? Right. So investing for the long term is key. And more so investing to build assets. So if you're putting money into it and you plan on taking it out and you're going to go spend it, well, you were never inv- you were never this was never going to be an asset to begin with. But if you're investing it, maybe you'll take some out and go purchase something for your practice, which will turn on maybe a higher revenue income stream. That may make sense depending on the timeline. Right. So I think a lot of times, like we talk about flexibility and access to to this money, and people think, oh, okay. So when I go on vacation, I'll I'll invest this money. When I need to go on vacation, I'm going to pull this money out. Mm, That's not necessarily what we're saying.
1: Yeah. I mean, most of the time, if you're looking at uh, anything that is, Less than like 12 months, you're not investing it. Like, period. Um, If it's a variable investment, you're speculating. And if it's not a variable investment, you're just saving it. And those are like entirely different conversations and uh, different ways of operating than investing.
0: So there's our big disclosure about investing, first and foremost. Now let's get into the actual four principles. Uh, that we highlighted when we started the episode, Alex. <laughs> sure. The
1: first is that we want to invest in equities or stocks, and we want to offset our risk with fixed income, typically bonds, but there's a couple other fixed income type structures as well.
0: And what that means is is you know, most people understand stocks will go up and they may go down. Well, they will go down eventually. And like, it's so, a matter so- of...
1: It's a matter of like making sure that we invest in things that go up more than they go down over a long period of time.
0: And, and so, in the short term, it can look like a roller coaster ride. And because most people don't want that type of roller coaster ride, like with big ups and big downs, they offset some of the risk with bonds. So, what we mean by that is Let's just say you are a riskier, you want to take a little bit more risk in the market. And so you decide you want 80% of your money going to stocks, that roller coaster ride, and you want to offset some of that roller coaster ride with some bonds. You put the other 20% of your money in, say, bonds.
1: Yeah. And what we're trying to accomplish here is like that we want to avoid selling at the low point or selling when the market's down. I mean, that would be the equivalent of like riding a roller coaster that is too violent or moves too much and causes us to to throw up. And so if we puke on a roller coaster, us and anybody behind us just had a really bad day. When we puke, when we're investing, we've now lost money and we've gotten off the rides. We have no way of being able to recover that. That's not saying that we shouldn't change or modify our strategy given additional information updated for the markets, things of that nature. But in general, we want to make sure that we've got the right amount of risk that we're taking because if we dramatically change the amount of risk that we're taking, most of the time, that that doesn't work out in our favor.
0: And so when you're looking at how much risk you should take I mean, obviously we're going to be a little bit biased when I say this, you should talk to a professional that understands and can explain to you the true risk that you're taking based on what you're investing in. Like when we sit down with our clients, we can literally say, okay, and we get into the weeds where we do like standard deviation, which some of you may have just heard that word and went like, oh crap, like they hated that in school. By the way, so did I, Alex probably loved it because that's Alex. Yes, I did but we can go into it at a high level and we can actually show you okay in this style of a portfolio the risk profile that you have is you might have the chance of losing 32 percent of your money and we'll even put it in dollars for you with the opportunity of gaining this percentage of money and so it really shows the true risk that you're taking which is extremely helpful because i don't know how many times i hear someone say oh I'm young. I can take a bunch of risk. What they don't understand is like what that actually looks like in any given year. Like how many people right now have been talking about since like February of this year, how the market's bad and they don't want to put any more money into it.
1: And it's super ironic because basic economics tells us that we want to buy when the market's low and sell when the market's high. And yet our fight or flight response typically tells us to do the opposite of it. I'm reminded of the the great Mike Tyson quote, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Going through a market where the market's down 20, 25% is kind of like getting punched in the face. And we almost need to see how we react to that. And so one of the things that Ryan and I try and do is like have the conversation of like, okay, you're investing a hundred grand, If in three months, that hundred grand is 75 grand. How do we feel about that?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And like the vast majority of the time, like we can get people to be really, truly honest about it and try and get them to actually feel what that would look like. Occasionally someone like does, it actually occurs and then someone goes eek at that point. Like we need to make sure that we're, addressing that properly
0: yeah and in the last decade this the market has done very very well right and because it's been 10 years we often forget how the market can actually go down and how that feels and so it we have these reactions when it occurs and and that's that's the key ingredient here when we're talking about investing in stocks and bonds what risk profile do you want or really any
1: opinion-based asset where the value of the asset is based on the opinion of others,
0: whether it's an individual or collectively as society. Correct. Which takes us to principle number two, diversify. So this is... Everyone
1: understands the basic concept of not putting all your eggs in one basket. Few people understand what diversification actually means.
0: Yeah. The the key thing you hear is we'll often look at someone's, you know, investment accounts and we'll show them the different asset classes that they own. An asset class, I mean, is it, do they have a bunch of large U.S. companies? Do they have small U.S. companies? Do they have international companies? That's what we mean by asset class. Are they value-based? Are they growth-based? Like how are we choosing to invest? And because everyone has heard for the most part, like on, on any newsreel, especially business newsreel or market-based newsreel, newsreel, if I could speak, the S and P five hundred is what everyone hears. It's almost they almost think it's it's the only market that's out there, which it's not. It's just an index that measures the five hundred largest U.S. companies,
1: right? Which currently happens to be dominated by large tech, and you know I. I haven't checked in the last little bit with uh, tech getting beat up a ton, but it was somewhere around 25% of the S&P 500 was in six
0: large tech stocks. Yeah. So we're talking like Microsoft, Google, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Tesla's now in there, mm-hmm. right? If, if one of those companies has a very bad year, that entire index may have a bad year
1: or there's examples like going back to the late 90s where 1999 had a really was a good year for the S&P but very few stocks in the S&P went up it was dominated like the companies that were a larger percentage of the S&P all happened to go up and so it
0: masked the fact that a bunch of companies were going down yeah so so what we're getting at here is oftentimes we'll look at someone's investments and the a huge chunk of their money, if not all of it, might be S&P 500 where it's sitting. And what they don't understand is, A, that index can be controlled almost by one company, depending on how that one company does, especially if it's the Microsoft, the Google, the biggest companies in that index. And so that means the entire portfolio or a huge chunk of their portfolio may be down. Now, conversely, it might be up, but does that sound diversified? No, it sounds like all of your eggs are in one basket. Because they are. <laughs> so this is why, like, I we all, I always explain diversification in terms of, and this also goes to the risk, the ingredients that you make a pie with, if you put too much flour in it, it won't taste very good. Heck, if you put only
1: pie filling in it, which tastes amazing, it still won't work very well
0: and so the ingredients of what makes up the portfolio allows you to either offset risk or take on more risk depending on so you get to measure are you taking are you getting compensated for the risk that you that you're taking
1: and so an actionable takeaway from here is typically Ryan and I like to see not more than about 1% of the overall portfolio in any one particular holding so if you like there's ways to go ahead and see inside of like a mutual fund or inside of your 401k what the breakdown of holdings are. Um and when Alex
0: says holdings, by the way, he's not talking about the mutual fund itself, he's talking about the individual stocks or bonds that makes up the mutual fund. Thank you, Ryan.
1: That that yes, a hundred percent. And we can go ahead and try and get a sense of like, okay, how much do we have invested in? the large portion of our portfolio, and then take that as a percentage of the overall portfolio. Um, and again, typically we like to see not more than about 1% um, of any, one, uh, any 1% any one percent of the portfolio in any one particular stock. Sometimes that's challenging to do, um, but we like to see not more than about 1%, uh, certainly not more than like 2 or 3%. Um, At that point, we were looking at concentrated stock positions, and we're really starting to uh, be really dependent upon that one company, whatever company it is.
0: Yep. Which then takes us to principle number three. And principle number three is rebalancing the portfolio. And I think a lot of people have heard that term. They don't necessarily know what it means and why it may or may not be important.
1: So the basic concept, and let's just imagine a portfolio that is 50% stocks and 50% bonds, because that's like an easy way to see balance. Um, If stocks have a good year, the stocks are typically going to go up more than the bonds. And so if we wind up, like, let's say we go from $50 in stocks to uh, $70 in stocks, and the bonds go from $50 up to $55 now it's very clear that we don't have a 50-50 balance and so now when the market has done well we're now suddenly taking on more risk because we have a larger percentage in stocks than we do in bonds and so what the what rebalancing would do is it would force us to sell some of the stuff that's done well and rebalance into some of the stuff that hasn't done as well and so we're doing this to try and take risk off The table because we cared about what the mix of risk was at the beginning. We don't necessarily want to take more risk than 50-50 in my example. And so if we go to $70 and $55, it doesn't wind up being percentages anymore. But now we've got more than 50% in stocks um, and less than 50% in bonds as a result.
0: Yeah, I mean take for example the last 10 years, right? If that that portfolio was 50-50, it's no longer 50-50. I mean it might be a 80-20, 70-30 type of profile where 70 or 80% of your money is now in the in stocks and 20 or 30% of your money is now in bonds. What you you chose 50-50 for a reason. The roller coaster ride that that was, you felt as though you could handle. That roller coaster ride just added several loopy loops, as I would call them, it just went upside down. It did a corkscrew. That may have been something you couldn't have handled.
1: Right. And this is all when we're getting closer and closer and closer to needing the money as we move through time. And so we're taking on more risk as we approach a desire to start using the portfolio, like whether that's turning on an income stream or liquidating the portfolio or whatever we're using it for. Typically, we want to take less risk and have less volatility as we get closer to needing that money because the downside risk stops being mitigated a little bit by time
0: and that which, that's really yeah. important which takes us to principle number 4 and this is this is a theme that's really in all three of these principles it's behavior
1: Yeah. On their surface, none of the three of these things are rocket science or really overly difficult to understand. Four is the hard thing because we talked about it earlier. Our fight or flight response actually tells us usually to do the opposite of what we should do from an economic standpoint, from uh, how we should invest standpoint. And so as a result, behaving is the critical component that really defines whether or not we wind up having success or not.
0: Yeah. And I think behavior, the key thing, I think when people here behave, they think, oh, well, in 08, I didn't go to cash. Right. I think they, they assume behavior as in selling and going to cash. And ah. yes, that is a behavior, but what they're missing is, Okay. How many, you're you're listening to the news or you're talking to a friend and you're going over your 401k statement with somebody and you notice, and you're seeing these funds and, and the rate of return that they did the last year. And you notice, oh, this particular fund did better last year. And the fund that I'm invested in didn't do well last year. So I think I'm going to divest from this current fund and purchase this other fund. I'm going to new money go into that other fund. So since you're chasing the return, that's behavior. Well heck, Ryan, one of
1: the things that you brought up at the beginning of the uh, of this podcast was people saying the market's doing terribly. I'm not going to invest in the market anymore. Mm. And so you may not have like gone to cash, but you stopped purchasing dollars and it actually works better if you purchase in down markets because you're now buying things at a discount. Again, we have to make sure that we're properly investing and that we're not speculating and all of the other rules that we went through. But at the same time, let's make sure that we have an overall strategy for when we're going to do things, how we're going to do things and why we're going to do things so that we can apply these four rules to your circumstances and situation. And be able to have an overarching investment philosophy of how we're going to act, react to the market before something occurs so that it becomes second nature to us to just do it whenever that occurs. And now we're not allowing our emotions to dictate our decisions. We have proactively thought about how, why we're going to do things. And yes, There's going to be times where something totally unexpected happens, like a pandemic or whatever else. And we might need to take some time and think through it and say, okay, how does this interact with our investment philosophy? And every single time something new happens, that's normal and natural. Like before 1990, we hadn't seen the berlin wall come down and the opening of eastern europe we hadn't like there are a whole host of like one time events and one of the things like one of the quotes that's out there is the most dangerous words on wall street are this time it's different
0: and it's not even on wall street it's it's every it's everyone Right. Like we've all probably thought that in some shape or form, possibly, right? Because let's just face it, even Alex and I, maybe we don't sound like it. We're actually human beings, <laughs> right? <clears throat> Not an automaton. Time time. We, we, while we are financial advisors and we deal with investments all of the time, Alex and I still have these one off conversations that is emotional. Emotions come into play. Like that, it just is what it is. Now, the good news with Alice and I communicating with one another is we might be either able to talk one another off the cliff in terms of like making emotional decisions, or if Alice pisses me off enough, I might just push him off the cliff. Either way, it's a win-win for me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And when he says talk him off the cliff, he means talk them off the ledge back onto the land, not actually like getting them to jump.
0: So those are the four principles uh, of investing. They aren't rocket science. Emotions and behavior is what causes it to go haywire, or maybe just a misunderstanding of what, for instance, diversify actually means. Which takes us to the question of the day, Alex.
1: Yeah. Our question today is what rules are you breaking? What clarification Came to light for you as we walked through the
0: four principles of investing? So head over to holistic-finance.com and there's a spot for you to answer that question. If you got anything out of today or if you have questions that are bubbling up, that's also a great spot for you to reach out to us and let us know: like, hey, this was my takeaway, or hey, you said this, but I'm not quite understanding. Like, that's a great spot for you to reach out to us from that standpoint. We don't normally advertise for you all to work with us on this podcast. This podcast is supposed to be about being a resource so you could take actionable steps in your personal finances. But what came to our light the other day was we actually have a client say, hey, how come you guys never advertise let people know that you're accepting new clients? So we are, and we're not gonna turn this into a big advertisement, but we do want you to know like we are here for you. If you wanna talk to us, feel free to reach out to us on that same site.
1: If you have more questions, if like we we didn't fully explain something in the podcast, reach
0: out and ask the question. As always, we hope this episode was valuable for you. And Mr. Collins, make it a great day.
2: This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. This material is intended for general public use. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities LLC is not undertaking to provide investment advice or a recommendation for any specific individual or situation, or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact a representative for guidance and information that is specific to your individual situation. Ryan and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities LLC. OSJ 200 Market Street, Suite 1850, Portland, Oregon 97201, phone number 503-221-1226. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Quantified Financial Partners is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Ryan Burklow, AR Insurance License number 15319412. CA Insurance License number 0K24924. Alexander Collins, AR Insurance License number 7264699. CA Insurance License number 0H24806. Endpoint number 2022, expiration November 2024.